You're listening to The Fully Occupied Show, presented by Occupier. Hey everyone, Lauren Cavell from Occupy here. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome back to another episode of the Fully Occupied Podcast. I'm the VP of Finance at Occupy and one of our in-house CPAs. I'm your host for all things lease accounting. If you enjoy our show, make sure to subscribe on your favorite listening platform. Shoot us a note at marketing at occupier.com to nominate a future Fully Occupied Podcast guest ask us a question, or just say hi. Hello, Julia. It's so nice to speak with you today. How are you doing? Hi. Good. How are you, Lauren? Doing well, doing well. Julia is from SOA Projects, and we are so excited to formally announce our partnership with your company. We have been working together for almost, gosh, at least eight months now uh and it's just really good to finally get it in writing that we're formal partners yay we're very excited as well (laughs) yes 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 and if anyone doesn't know what soa project stands for it's secrets of accountants projects (laughs) not actually (laughs) but we will find out what it means later Uh, so before we dive into today's topic if you could tell us a little bit about yourself Sure. Um, So my name is Julia and I'm with SOA Project. I'm a director here in our technical accounting practice. Um, I spent most of my career in public accounting and uh, after that I've been consulting for a few years and with SOA for almost a year. Um, At SOA, amongst other things, I've helped the clients implement um, the ASC 842 standard many times and uh, have done many lease memos. And I live in San Diego, California, uh, with my husband, Nick, and our three children. Gosh, that's amazing. A lot to unpack there. Living in San San Diego, absolutely fantastic. Uh, And a lot of experience on ASC 842, which I think makes you uniquely qualified for our topic today, which is basically going through the horror stories of 842 implementations. Sounds great. <laughs> cool, cool. So based on your experience, what are some common 842 implementation pitfalls you have seen? Gosh, there's been a few um, in the recent history. I, we, we just did a, a number of implementations. So I think to start with not obtaining the complete list of leases, assuming that you had all the leases down under 840 definition and not going through that analysis and finding the embedded leases, that could get you in trouble. Um, Excel spreadsheet errors, um, or user error, I would call it, right? So if you don't know what you're supposed to do and the inputs and how the spreadsheets work that maybe somebody prepared for you, you could end up with the wrong answer using Excel. Another common one would be uh, not including your auditors early enough. So. I recommend including them as early as possible in the process. And then of course, underestimating the amount of time it would take. People think, oh, it's no big deal, but really starting early and making sure you have the right team and the right 
the right amount of time to adopt the standard. Um, and then I guess last but not least is the disclosure piece, not having the complete disclosures um, and then getting comments from the SEC or just not, or from, even from the auditors. Oh my gosh. So it seems like a laundry list of things that could go wrong in this 842 implementation journey. Absolutely. Personally, I've seen a few of those things go wrong in the recent, in a very recent history. Crazy, crazy. So how do you think companies can prevent making these mistakes? So, I mean, I'll go back to just making sure you have enough time and preparing as early as possible. If you, if you think you can adopt 842 in a month, kind of last minute, it's probably not the best approach. Um, I would consider engaging a specialist to, to help if you have complex leases or a lot of leases, or if you're not sure, um, or if you think you have embedded leases, engaging a specialist or, or having someone in your team who can become that specialist would be, would be great. Um, if you have a lot of leases and you want to avoid the Excel type issues, using software has worked well in the past for some of my clients um, and eliminate some of that clerical, some of those clerical errors or just it kind of walks you through the things that you need. Right. Um, and yeah, then definitely. having the auditors involved as early as possible, like having a kickoff call with them, understanding what they want from documentation perspective, from um, IBR, incremental borrowing rate, valuation and estimation, right? Depending on the audit firm and the audit partner, all of those steps would really help it go more smoothly. Yeah, definitely. So to double tap into the lease accounting software element, so how do you think lease accounting software specifically would help uh, customers that you've been seeing with their adoption? So I'll just say, I think Excel can work just fine. If you have, if you're a very simple client, maybe a startup with like one operating lease, right? If you have a building, um, maybe it's okay to use Excel. And if it's simple, if you have multiple leases, if you have, if you're a public company with, you know, reporting requirements, I think there's a few things that leasing software will do for you. Number one, I think is, it makes it easier to prevent that user error and clerical error that you can you can have in Excel, right? So even if you have one schedule that is perfect and has been approved and reviewed and the auditors blessed it, you can easily fat finger something or um, drag the formula incorrectly, right? Excel is just prone oh, yeah. to error. And I've had a, a, a story recently with a client where um, my firm prepared a bunch of schedules for complicated material leases. And then the client kind of took that schedule and said, okay, we can do it for a tiny lease. Uh, it's a material, you know, whatever. So they did it and it, and a, a few inputs, they just kind of uh, messed up a little bit, right? Just because they didn't, didn't know something. I mean, they're not experts in, in right. the standard. Um, and so it resulted in the completely wrong amount of the right of these asset and the lease liability. It wasn't terribly material, luckily, but um, it did result in, a, in an audit adjustment. And I think um, they just didn't realize what they were doing. And I think because 
it was essentially driven by the number of periods that like if maybe leasing software would ask them how many years is the lease i feel like they would be able to answer that simply right mm -hmm. versus the, the, the spreadsheet it was just the amortization schedule and you didn't have to input the number of years or months or whatever so i think those types of things um you could help eliminate and then of course just like if there's a big volume and you have to you know review like i had a client we had to review I think they had a hundred leases. And so a hundred leases where somebody has to review clerically tests and everything versus yeah. if you can rely on a software and just test it once, make sure, you know, make sure it does what it's supposed to do. Like, so that particular client, they actually did have leasing software and then they were able to just have us make sure that it works correctly and then inputs are correct. And then the software did the rest. Yeah, gosh, you must love software that in those scenarios because you don't want to create, I'm assuming you don't want to create a hundred different Excel schedules for all of the leases. It may make your life a little bit easier. Yeah, and as a former auditor, uh, you know, having that software, right, where you know you can test it and you think it works, right? Like two plus two equals four and it works every time <laughs> the same way versus each Excel spreadsheet is kind of its unique and individual risk, right? Like somebody drags the formula incorrectly or somebody does something that they're not supposed to do. It's a, it's its own standalone problem potentially. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, yeah. Right. You can't always extrapolate an error in one to continue on to the rest of the population just because you don't know if how it was made and if it was done consistently. That's a great point. Exactly. And maybe multiple people did it, or maybe some were reviewed and some weren't. Um, and maybe even just the terms of the lease, if the Excel doesn't ask you the question and the person preparing Excel didn't um, know how to ask or answer the right questions, right? Like are the payments on the first of the month or the last of the mm -hmm. month or whatever, all these different things that can impact the conclusion and the calculations, um, that could also result in an error. Oh yeah, crazy. it's crazy to me going back on your earlier point on your client having an audit adjustment for one lease that your team, the one lease that your team didn't do for one lease to bring forth an audit adjustment is pretty, pretty powerful. Right. Yeah. And it was, it was a simple client. So they only had, you know, three or four leases. Mm -hmm. um, it's just, again, goes back to the fact that if you don't know how to use Excel, if you don't know how to interpret the standard and it's not asking you a simple questions, right? right? Simple questions that you can answer as an operational accountant, right. you're not going to know what the schedule is meant to do that it wasn't supposed to be, yeah. let's say 30 periods, but it's really, oh, it's driven by the term of the lease. Mm -hmm. So things like that. Yeah. And then the journal entries as well. So the other thing in that same example, I think the journal entries were slightly different because the initial amounts were different from 840 from the prior periods. So that also impacted the initial adoption entry, journal entry. Oh, um, gosh, this is a perfect storm. Didn't. Yeah, it was, a, it was a small immaterial, but perfect storm, exactly. <laughs> and and there, there were also clerical errors as well in the spreadsheet um, that didn't check to zero on the bottom, but the 
accountant didn't notice and yeah so things like that um and then i had a client who used the software and then every time it's the same answer right so like once you figure out how to put the inputs and answer it and use it it's the same answer every time you test the clerical issue once make sure you addressing the technical lease issues for each type of lease and then inputting them correctly so that's key of course right. the inputs are important yeah. right because software is only as good as the inputs yep. um and then it's going to give you you know the whole hundred leases two plus two is going to equal four yeah and it makes it a lot easier to trust yeah so all of that being said and all of those i guess little roadblocks in the way of 842 implementations that you've seen, what are some of the best practices to keep in mind? That's a great question. Um, I would say start early, as I mentioned before, and make a detailed plan. So starting with a detailed plan, and that plan should include the timeline, it should include the team, which is not only the accounting personnel, it should include the operational personnel. And then of course, on the external side, if you can call them part of the team, the auditors, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, they are part of the big happy team in the end. And so making sure all the key players are on the same page with the timeline and the deliverables. Um, and then going from there, um, identifying a complete list of, list of leases is very important. I've had clients that um, the conclusions were very different under 840 versus 842. Uh, especially when it comes to embedded leases. Interesting. So I had clients that had very material embedded leases. The accounting treatment was um, basically the same under 840 as they were doing it, but under 842 accounting treatment is obviously very different because it results in a right of use asset and lease liability. So not identifying those leases correctly um, would have had a very material impact on their financials. And so understanding all of that and making sure you go through those procedures first, get a complete list of list leases, and then going from there, um, I would recommend if you have complicated leases, hiring somebody or making sure you have a technical accounting person on your team who can have the time and dedica dedicated efforts to research it. And, you know, the big four accounting firms and um, second tier accounting firms, a, lo a lot of them have the 842 um, guides, right, which are available to the public, they're on the internet. Um, it's just learning how to use them, making sure that you're savvy enough to interpret them and know the basics of the standard to implement and then what to look for. Because I've also seen situations where the clients will um, think they've interpreted it correctly, but they're missing a few things. It's like you don't know what you don't know, right? right? <laughs> so, oh, yeah. What else? Um, control implications. If you're a public company, um, it's really hard to go back in time, right? So like con getting all those, doc all those documents, all the control support right from the start, right? As you're performing the adoption, making the timeline, getting all that evidence that the auditors are going to need in the future for controls. That'll help the implementation of a public company um, go smoother in the future. In terms of just the underlying leases, I mean, I, I would recommend focusing on the most material leases and get them right, or like leases that are, have certain characteristics and um, make making sure that you get the, the inputs correctly and all the facts. 
um, making those accounting policy elections, right? For example, separating or not separating lease components. Um, so I've had, I've had a client recently that had a, it had a very, very significant impact on their financials. Um, specifically for this policy election, the separating oh, versus oh. non-separating. And did they choose to separate? Yeah. So they chose to separate for one class of assets, oh, wow. and it it was it was significant. It was a, a a data center client, and so the embedded leases within the service contract was very um, relatively immaterial compared to the whole contract. So if they didn't separate their assets and liabilities would have been much, much larger uh, on the books if they if they didn't separate because the service component, the non-lease components was much higher than the, the lease component. So that's why. Um, but stuff like that, you know, it, it has it can have a profound impact on your adoption procedures. Um, and so again, just making sure you have the experts who are helping you or expert on your team who know how to research the guidance um, and document other conclusions and then take the auditors through those conclusions. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think that's why I love our partnership so much is that you can leverage software to make the easy things easier and minimize risk, but then also having SOA projects help you navigate through some of these complex like, leases that you may have, but then just deciphering the guidance. I mean, Deloitte's guide alone is over a thousand pages, you know, PwC's is 500. And so there's just so much guidance out there. Having someone that's been there, done that along the journey with you, that can be a thought partner with, uh, you know, if you want to separate non-lease or lease components and what are the benefits and disadvantages of doing that, Having uh, exactly. you guys along for the ride is super valuable, in my opinion. Exactly. And it, it not only it's the policy election, sometimes it's the conclusion mm -hmm. that you come to. So, for example, there are situations with the finance leases um, that you could ar potentially arrive to a failed sale spec transactions and you wouldn't have anything on your balance sheet as a result. You wouldn't have a finance lease. Right. So if you if you conclude that it's a lease, because just because it looks like a lease, um, you would have potentially all these millions of dollars or material amounts, right, <clears throat> on your balance sheet, where it might not even be a lease, it might be a financing obligation, for example. So things like that, the intricacies of guidance like that, um, even, you know, I feel like in the last three months, I've come across I want to say three clients that had that situation, oh right, gosh. where they thought it was a capital lease that turned into a finance lease, but in reality, it was not a lease at all under the 842 um, definition. It was a failed sale lease back mm -hmm. transaction. So yeah. things like that could, uh, but that's more of a, just a technical conclusion on leases specifically, <clears throat> not just adoption specifically, but just lease technical accounting can be very complicated. Mm -hmm. And when you're transitioning standards, that it makes it more so. Right. Um, and then, of course, you know, like I mentioned, the calculations, right? So if you're using Excel, understanding that spreadsheet, how it works and all the ins and outs and how it calculates things, right? Um, and if you are using software, also understanding the inputs that you're providing and the output that it's giving you uh, and making sure that the user is sophisticated enough to... Um, to understand the basics at least, right? right? So software definitely makes it easier, 
um, because it, it, it kind of guides you, right? It provides you those questions, but um, you still need to have some basic understanding to make sure that your, your inputs are correct. Um, totally. And then, and then of course, like ongoing management in the future, designing those procedures to identify those leases on an ongoing basis and making sure that people on, on your team and the operations and legal facilities, they are able to spot those leases yeah. and identify the accounting professionals, alert, alert them that, oh, there's a new lease. Mm -hmm. Let's put that in the software. Right. Or let's make a new Excel. Just because it doesn't say lease doesn't mean it's not a lease. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, uh, 842, just, it, the, just the consequences of not identifying are, are much more significant, right? Because in the past with 840, if something is an operating lease, you know, it, it it's not going to have as material impact, right. right? Whether you call it a lease or don't call it a lease under 842 if you don't if you don't know it's a lease it could be material yeah definitely so we went through a lot of the 842 implementation journey today what is your one piece of advice if you wanted the people listening to this podcast to take away one thing to help ease their 842 implementation journey what would that be I know I repeat, keep repeating <laughs> myself on this subject, but I just cannot stress it. Start early, make a plan, and as early as possible, make sure you have enough time and resources and assemble the right team of people. And, and then if you do that, that's the one piece of advice I would give and everything else will fall out of that and will go much more smoothly. Yeah, you gotta have a plan. And that's no right. plan is gonna be a failed plan. Yes, I've seen a handful of those, even back in the audit days when the first set of 842 implementations came around, right? Um, a, a lot of my companies, my clients were public. And so um, making sure that they were documenting their plan a year, a whole year in advance, pretty much, before they were going to adopt, that was kind of the requirement of the audit firms. So that's how much time you would typically need. So you would should start at least, you know, six to nine months. That's if you have simple, if you have complicated scenario, start even earlier, start thinking about those processes. Like if you're going to use software, what software are you going to buy? Um, if you're going to use Excel, you know, all those things, it's better to figure it out early because it's going to take you way longer than you think it is. Yeah, definitely. So we're on to our rapid fire questions. Are you ready? Ooh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, they're non AC842 related. Uh, okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> so they're supposed to be fun. Uh, all right, first one. What's your morning routine? Morning routine. Um, wake up early, 6, 6.30. Quick exercise, meditation, uh, make my bed. So I swear by this, this makes a difference in my day, make my bed, pick up the house a little bit, and then it's all onto the kids. So three kids getting them to school. Oh my gosh. It's so funny how making your bed, you already feel accomplished for the day that it sets the tone for the day. Awesome. Isn't there a whole book about, about I that, right? I feel like there's a book somewhere. Just make your bed. Yeah. And I, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's like, 
you you're accomplished right in the military did they do that and i i really swear by this like the making the bed makes me feel accomplished first thing in the morning oh that's awesome uh the second question if you could only eat one meal for the rest of your life what would it be mashed potatoes really oh my gosh I love mashed potatoes. <laughs> yeah have to be practical <laughs> otherwise i would probably say cold stone ice cream but Ooh, mashed potatoes with gravy or just mashed potatoes just mashed potatoes oh filling and have some nutrition but also i just love them uh, oh my gosh that's great um what's your favorite summer activity um well i live in san diego so i would say beach <laughs> the beach yeah beaches galore in san diego uh, do you have any pets no three children is enough for right now but we really want a dog so we've been wanting a dog so we just we, i just have to mentally prepare for that just have to figure out how to take care of one more living creature oh yeah right uh and the last question what are two people we should invite on the podcast next hmm that's a good one um i would say uh, an audit partner would be a good guest to have and ask them about perspectives from the audit side and oh, yeah, good, just for fun good. just for fun i know it's a leasing podcast but i keep hearing about the guy named sad sad guru have you heard of him <laughs> he is like a, a kind of enlightenment guru and everybody talks about him like will smith everybody yes, goes to him, so. yes. I'm, okay. I'm sure it'd be really hard to get him but if you could i would recommend inviting him you okay. could get a lot of we'll listeners. get our marketing department on it okay <laughs> sweet but audit partner may be easier yeah right Auto partner may fit them all a little bit but maybe people will need to be enlightened in their real estate endeavors as well that's right. That's a good idea. I love it. Love it. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Julia. It's been great learning about your vast experience with 842 implementations and going through the horror stories. So hopefully our listeners can avoid them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And thank you so much for inviting me. And I'm very excited about our partnership with Occupy. Yes, as am I. Well, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. You too.